Sir, we would see Jesus. It's an amazing statement. But what's even more amazing is who said it, why they said it, and at what time they said it. It's all straight ahead on today's edition of Truth For Today. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, hi there and welcome. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, who takes us to John 12 once again. We're looking at verses 20 through 36. Jesus facing the shadow of the cross, and in the midst of this shadow, some Greeks come along, some people who aren't Jewish. They want to see Jesus. And it is this that sparks Jesus saying, the time has now come. What does it all mean, Alfie, right? Well, we're going to find out from Pastor Phil Howard. Here's Phil now with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I'm reading from John 12, beginning at verse 20. 22. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? It's better a decorative statement. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, 
Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Jesus now is closing his public ministry. He'll do final words at the end of this chapter to tell you why men would rather go to hell than believe in him. It's a sad ending to the public ministry of Christ. Instead of thousands flocking to him, thousands went away from him. And only a few would remain. How can the Son of God be such a flop? Well, we'll look at that next week and see why the results seem to be minimal. But as Christ enters into now the shadows of the cross, there's three things I want us to look at. Number one, the time for the sacrifice has come. The time for the sacrifice has come. Number two, his sorrows will begin in a way that he has not experienced except at the grave of Lazarus. Uh, when he felt grief for his friend's death. And then finally, we will see three things that he plans to subdue in his death. And we will briefly look at that. I, I think of Christ coming into these shadows and in these uh, dark moments. And uh, I thought of Winston Churchill when uh, Hitler was bombing London day and night. And historic landmarks were going up in flames. And the uh, English people were living in bunkers, uh, basements, subways. We used to have a woman named Bobby Hawk that attended this church years ago who lived through those horrendous days and used to tell us what it was like, life in the subways. But the little British bulldog went to the air. And this is a speech he made during those days. And he said this. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free. And life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fell, then the whole world, including the United States including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science, science that can make bombs to eliminate the race. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. Sometimes the finest hour we ever serve is when the sorrows of life, the shadows of death, and the pain of warfare come upon us. When we are going through something, Spurgeon himself said, he went through great seasons of depression every time just before God was raising the curtain on a new aspect of his life and ministry. So we see the Son of God. He says, my hour has come. All the way through this gospel, he said, my hour hasn't come. My hour hasn't come. And now that hour that encompasses Gethsemane, his death, his burial, his resurrection, 
that whole period of history. He says, now I'm entering into that period. It, it is taking place. And so he begins to tell them why the hour. And the reason for the hour, verse 23, is that I might be glorified. Now, that seems strange. When you tell me I'm going to be glorified, I think I'm going to get a bonus. I want to get a new title. I want to get a promotion. That's glorification for me. But throughout John's gospel, the glory of Christ begins at the cross. And this word will be used of the cross. It will be used of his resurrection. It will be used of his exaltation. But he's saying, I'm now going to fulfill what I came to do. The glory of God and the honor of the Son will begin at the cross. Did you know you would never be saved by any of the sermons of Jesus? Believe them all. They won't save you if there's no cross. Quote the Sermon on the Mount till you're blue in the face. It won't save you. You can't get saved without the cross. Somebody must die. Somebody must bleed. You won't get to heaven cheaply. It costs you nothing. It costs him everything. Just because it's free to you, don't think it's free. And so he says, my hour has come. The hour my father will choose to glorify me. And then he gives an illustration of what this is about. That we must die to live. We must die to have a crop. We must die to have any effect. And then he applies it to us. Let's see the illustration. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We, we all understand that, don't we? The seed in the bag never produces a crop. You can keep the seed in the bag until it wilts, until the seed is no good. The seed must be sown. But wait, that's easy for me to say because I'm not a seed. For a seed to be sown, I put it down usually at least 18 inches probably, maybe a foot. That's why they plow so much. I'll be buried with weight a thousand times more than the wheat weighs or the kernel of corn. I've got to be buried. I've got to germinate. I've got to come to the end of myself. They have found kernels of corn that were buried with the pharaohs in the pyramids believed to be there 2,500 to 3,000 years. They took the kernels, planted them, watered them, and guess what? They germinated and they bore fruit. Two things in the chapter. If you keep them in their container, will never have an impact. You never can spread the aroma of how wonderful Christ is keeping all your ointment in your bottle. Keep it all locked up. Keep a lid on it. Don't ever be broken. We used to sing a Keith, not a Keith Green, but a Steve Green song, Broken and Poured Out. You can have no fragrance for Christ until you're broken, until you're poured out. 
If you're in your container of your own little empire, you will die, but you'll have no fruit. Jesus says, men, I'm just a kernel of wheat to be buried. I know I must die to get the crop that I want. For I want a multitude of sinners to join me in heaven. And the hour I'm entered into says, the kernel must be buried. It must die. Then he says something radical. He applies this teaching to his disciples. Look what he says. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Wow, what's he saying? If you love your life so much, you're not willing to die to yourself and die for the cause of Christ. He said, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You can get all your selfish ambitions met. You can live for yourself. You can do everything for you. I am not expendable. I will not be spent. I will not die to my ambition, to what I am. He's not talking about cutting your wrist. He's not talking about suicidal thoughts. It's a metaphorical comparison, love-hate. Jesus said one time, unless you hate mother and father and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Well, it was a comparative love-hate. For it's the same God who said you must honor mother and father. But he says, you must so love me in a category that's so far beyond all human categories that it's likened to love, hate. Uh, Paul told Timothy in the last days, men would love money, love pleasure, and love themselves. The great competitors to loving God. I've got time for money. I've got time for myself. I've got time for pleasure. I just don't have any time for Jesus. I'm not willing to die. I'm living for me. My I. Jesus said, unless you're willing to die to your own interests and become willing to divest yourself and die for the sake of Christ. By the way, every man in this room but one died for the sake of Christ. Judas died, committed suicide because he sold out Christ. John, the writer of this book, died of old age. But they tried to boil him alive on the Isle of Patmos. But the oil refused to boil. That's what church tradition says. But everyone in this room is going to die. You're going to die. The issue will be, did you die for yourself in the bag? Or did you die in the soil? What is this death? How will it look? Notice the application. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Follow me what? In doing the Sermon on the Mount? Follow me to the cross. Follow me in the willingness to lay down his life. Follow me as the example that we're not living for this world, but we're living for another world. And where I am, there my servant will be also. A good way to find Jesus is find some people serving Jesus. Wherever the service going on for Jesus, Jesus is there. 
Where he's not being served, he's not present. He's not being adored. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That is astounding to me, that the Father will honor anybody that's willing to be poured out, to be the seed, just like the Savior, willing to follow him where? Follow him to get rich, follow him to be popular, follow, follow him and willing to give up himself for a greater crop. A greater crop. The souls of men. So he says the time for the seed to die has come. Now he says a second thing. The time for my sorrow, intense sorrow, has begun. And so he starts sharing the agony he's feeling. That the cross was not without agony to him. It was not, as we would say, a cakewalk. Uh, God did not give Jesus ether in his last days so he wouldn't feel it. Oh no. He's totally aware a thousand times more than you and I. And he says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? And this, the NIV did not do right, nor the New American here. It ought to be a straight line, not a question. Father, save me from this hour. I'm troubled. I don't know what to say, but save me from this hour. You see, in the book of John, he never mentions Gethsemane. He never mentions Mark 14. He never mentions the wrestling in Luke. He never mentions Matthew's account. All three of the synoptists say he agonized in the garden. And in the garden, he said, I want this cup and this hour to pass from me. Take it away from me. He didn't say that for theatrics. His humanity was seeing the cross, not only the spikes, not only the crown of thorns, but the abandonment of God. When God deals with your sin, he said, I am going in great agitation and trouble in my soul. The cross will break my heart. It's not the physical execution alone. Could you imagine being a soldier fighting World War II. I can't imagine just before you hit the beaches of Normandy, you got a letter from your wife that says, I'm filing for divorce for I'm going to marry your best friend. Christ is not only facing the bullets of hell, he will face the broken fellowship of the Father and already the shadows of the cross are falling over his humanity and he's in great agitation. He's in great turmoil. The word means uh, convulsion, nearly shock of spirit. I, I am in shock of what I'm beginning to feel. The rejection, the trials are ahead of me. The cross is ahead of me. I know for the seed to die, it is causing me great agony of soul. And he said, save me from this hour. And he catches himself. But this is the very hour for which you sent me. My humanity wants to get out of it. Who wouldn't? But this is what you ordained. 
And so like in the garden, Father, I don't want to drink the cup. I don't like your will right now. My humanity is revulsed by it. Nevertheless, 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 thy will be done. I will drink it. And he did drink it. Morris said it was the combination of the horror of death and the ardor of obedience that are fused together. I am in agony at what's in the cup, but I am determined to obey God no matter what's in the cup. I love what Spurgeon said, though it's a painful statement. He said, if I had not known that the cup of afflictions for which I was told to drink did not come from nail-pierced hands, I could barely drink from the cup. Who fills your cup with your sorrows, believer? Who brings the disappointments, the pains, the sorrows, the aches in our lives? Even in the will of God, you can have great sorrows, great pain. When I I used to love to read Adoniram Judson, J. Hudson Taylor. But I must say, when I first started reading those biographies, I was depressed at all the women that were buried and all the children that were buried before he had ten converts. And I thought, God, does my wife have to die to have an impact? Do I have to bury a couple of children to be used of you? That seems, couldn't you have exempted these men? David Livingston, 29 attacks of African fever, which was malaria. Twice was he attacked by lions. His left arm was forever shattered. Come on! How about some immunity, God? I'm doing your will. The will of God must never have any sorrow. Are you kidding? Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. For this whole whole thing called Christianity was built upon a bloody man upon a tree outside of Jerusalem. Who in the world are the disciples to say, I don't want any? He said, if I suffered, you will suffer. But if you don't, you'll die in your bag full of seed and you'll have no crop. Stay self-contained. Stay in the jar perfume and it will never change the atmosphere. Some of you are a bunch of self-protected containers afraid to be broken and poured out. And our generation is sick of the church that has lost its aroma. It's because we can't get Christ out of the bottle. It's for instance, these plays this weekend, singing. Some of you won't plan to invite anybody. You won't make an effort. It won't. You'll just say it better be good, even if you make it. It better be good. Come on, you already heard it a hundred times. Why don't you bring someone that's never heard it? Well, you don't think they're worth it, do you? Because we seldom have the heart of Jesus. We're all self-contained. Well, a voice comes out of heaven and uh, speaks... And the people don't hear the words. They hear it. And Jesus says, glorify your name, Father. And he says, 
I have already glorified it, and I will glorify it. And I thank you saying, I got glory in your ministry, son, and I want to get more glory when you go to the cross. So I've been getting glory out of you. I'll get more at the cross. And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855-833-9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. Or, again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Yes,